Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. All right, all right. Good morning, Christ Fellowship family. How are we doing today? Oh, you guys are awake. I like it. It feels good, right? Haven't we had like really great weather these past two days, right? Saturday and Sunday was really good. Friday was brutal. Not sure if you know that, but Friday was like 70 degrees, and then by 10 o'clock, it was like 98,000. It was really very hot. Um, if you went to the beach yesterday or Saturday, it wasn't the best day to go. Very windy. Anyways, sorry. Uh, I like to talk about the weather a little bit. That's just uh, something that I do. But real quick, before I get started, I want to wish a super merry, happy Father's Day to all the pops who are in the audience right now. One last round of applause for all the fathers. For those that are watching online... Right, happy Father's Day if you're watching as well. You know what the saying is, right? Every day is Father's Day. Is it? I thought that was only for the mothers. Men, wake up. Wake up, men. (laughs) My name is Eddie for all of those who don't know, and if we have any first-time visitors with us today. And as always, it's an honor and a pleasure to be here with you guys sharing the awesome, powerful Word of God. Are you guys excited about God's Word today? All right, yes. Well, So far, for those who don't know, we have been journeying and traveling through the Bible, book by book, this entire year since the beginning of January. It's been an awesome experience. It's been an amazing experience. So far, through all of that journeying and traveling that we've been doing, we have been finding out more and more about who God is, which is the most important thing, if I'm honest, right, about who God is, how much he cares for us how much he loves us, and what his character is like. It's been awesome so far. And it's through these many experiences that we've had, it's through these many experiences that we've had. Oh, excuse me, almost lost my spot. Wait, hold on. There we go. (laughs) And it's through these many experiences that we've had throughout history that we have begun to unravel some questions, unravel some mysteries. And so far, we have been all the way from Genesis all the way to, who knows what the book Pastor Diana spoke about last week? Jeremiah, you guys are paying attention. See, Pastor Diana, they're paying attention to you. They weren't ignoring what you were saying. See, look at that. From Genesis all the way to Jeremiah. And really quick, just so you guys know, Jeremiah is the author of the book that we're going to talk about today. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, in case you guys didn't know. And just to give you an, an idea of, of, of who Jeremiah is, I just want us to all be on the same page in regard to Jeremiah, because Jeremiah is a very important figure, obviously, from last week and this week. So just a couple of quick tidbits about Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet who was called by God, sent by God, to speak to the people of God with a very specific message. Now, the specific message that God gave Jeremiah to speak was this. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming to the people of God for their wickedness and for their sins. That was the message that God told Jeremiah to go to the people and tell them, tell them, Jeremiah, that my judgment is coming. 
So as you can imagine, so as you can imagine, Jeremiah wasn't a very popular prophet. Because who really wants to hear a message like that? Think about it. When we have a message from God, we want to hear the good stuff, right? We want to hear the amazing stuff, the blessings, the this, the that, all the good stuff that God has to offer. But when you hear judgment, it's kind of like, oh, don't give me that one. That's not the one that I want. But that was the message that Jeremiah was told to speak to the people. And just to give you an idea about the severity of this message, I have to really give you the status and the state of God's people at that time when Jeremiah went to them. You see, the people of God at this time in history, they were so into their sin. They were so into their wickedness that for them, it was considered the norm. Have you guys ever done something so much that it's just, oh, that's just the normal thing that I do now? Like, it's just the habit. I wake up, I brush my teeth every day. I wake up, I, you know, do this, X, Y, and Z. That was kind of how the status was of the people during that time. They would wake up and it was just sin all over the place. It was considered the norm for them. For them, it was normal to not take care of the orphan. For them, it was a normal thing to not take care of the widow. For them, it was normal to deal with people unjustly. For them, it was already normal to take the word of God, manipulate it, misconstrue it, so that way it could benefit them. For them to line their own pockets, so to speak. For them, it was normal to be lying. For them, it was normal to be cheating. For them, it was normal to do their own selfish desires ahead of anybody else's. For them, it was normal to be very prideful. For them, it was normal to be all these different kinds of things. It was the norm for them. Not only had they did it for, you know, a year or two. It wasn't just a year or two. It was a few decades. It was maybe a couple of generations. This was ingrained into them already. All of these things and more, it was just like another day for them. None of their actions in their own eyes were wrong. None of the things that they were doing towards the other people, the way they treated the other people, everything that they were doing, they didn't see it as it was something that was wrong. But they failed to realize something. They failed to realize something. Everything that they were doing was in some way, shape, or form breaking the covenant that God had made with them, and they had agreed to follow. They were breaking the covenant with God. And here you have Jeremiah walking into the city with God's message of, hey, listen, just so you know, judgment is coming. I'm speaking against against all the norms of the day. I'm speaking out against all the things that you're doing, and I'm telling you to come back to the Lord. Come back to God. Repent. Turn away from the things that you're doing, because if you don't, calamity, destruction, and God's judgment is going to come upon you. Turn away from all the things that you have been been considered normal and come back to the Lord. Do you think that this was a message that the people wanted to hear at that time? Do you think that? Of course not. And I can't help but feel, because of all the norms that are being presented to us today, now, in our day and age, I can't help but feel because of the way that society around us in our current culture is trying to normalize everything. 
that God's message is probably a message that maybe the people still may not want to hear. But I'm praying. I'm praying for Jeremiah's. I'm praying for people who will carry and speak the message of God, even if it's unpopular. I'm praying for Jeremiah's. You have no idea. I'm praying for people who will follow God wherever it leads them, into whatever setting it takes them, to proclaim the truth of God's word and his love. Because if you take a look at Jeremiah's story, if you take a look at what Pastor Diana was speaking about last week, you realize something about Jeremiah. Jeremiah had an amazing passion for the people. He did. He had such a passion for the people that he spoke the truth to them, even if it was unpopular, even if it was something that they did not want to hear at that time. And God gives us this amazing example of Jeremiah that we should follow, that we should have the exact same passion, if not more, for the people that surround us, for the people that we cross in our everyday, for the people that we work with, for the people in our neighborhoods, for the people in our families, for every single relationship that we may have that we would have enough passion for them to tell them the truth, to tell them that in love. But the people, unfortunately, didn't listen to Jeremiah. So what happened? God is a God of his word. He brought destruction. He brought calamity. He brought judgment to the people. And how did he do it? He do it by he did it by allowing the Babylonian people to come and invade Jerusalem. Notice the word that I used there. He allowed the people of Babylon. Just so you know, the people it's not like the people of Babylon were just chilling, you know, in their thrones in their houses and they were like, "Oh, look at Jerusalem. They're so weak and so ah, whatever. Let's go invade them. Even their god is gone from them." No, 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 no. Even in destruction, even when everything seems chaotic, even when everything's like it's out of order, God is still in control. God used the Babylonians as his instrument to carry out his divine judgment. It wasn't something that the Babylonians just did all willy-nilly on their own. So he used Babylon to lay siege to the city of Jerusalem, to destroy it, and to take the people as slaves. And Jeremiah is an eyewitness to this entire account. I went, uh, Jeremiah sees it firsthand. He has boots on the ground. He's in the middle of all of this as it's happening. He literally sees the foundation being torn off the ground. He sees the stones being taken down from the temple. He sees the walls being destroyed. He sees the people, the men, the women, the children being taken away in shackles, led out of the city. He hears the cries. He hears the screaming. He hears all the noise. He hears the crackling of the fire as it sweeps over the city, burning it to the ground. He sees it all. He sees all of it. And it's from this specific moment, it's from this specific moment is where we get our next book. It's where we get the book of Lamentations. Now, here are just a couple of quick interesting facts about the book of Lamentations. The word Lamentations has in it the root word lament, which in Hebrew is salpad. Say salpad. I know it's not spelled the way it sounds, but that's 
the weird Hebrew way about it. Say salpad. Salpad. That means to wail, to mourn. Jeremiah is mourning and crying for the city. But more importantly, he's mourning and crying for the people of God, for what is happening to them at this moment. It's no wonder Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. And I don't mean that in a negative sense. He's known as the weeping prophet. I like to think that's because his emotions and his passion was so connected to the people that he saw their pain. He saw the destruction. The things that hurt the heart of God hurt Jeremiah's heart. He's known as the weeping prophet. The book of Lamentations has only five chapters in it. Five, five chapters. It's a very, very short book. Why? I guess he was tired of lamenting. But it's only five chapters. You can literally sit down and I don't know what it is. All the books that I've gotten so far that I've been preaching about, you can literally sit down and read them over a cup of coffee. It takes like 20 minutes. So if you have 20 minutes during Father's Day and you're not doing anything because the wives are being good and they're taking all the children away, read Lamentations. You got 20 minutes, right? The period, the period that the book of Lamentations covers, it covers from the time 587 to 586 BC. So only one year, only it's a blip, it's a snap, it's a blink of an eye in the history of Israel. The author, we just talked about him is Jeremiah himself. The style of writing, the style of writing is poetic slash song. Poetic slash song. If you ever read Psalms, if you ever read Proverbs, if Psalms and Proverbs got together and had a baby, that would be like the style of writing that Jeremiah is in. Now, each chapter, remember, there's only five of them. Each chapter of Jeremiah paints its own vivid picture of what is happening during this moment as seen through the eyes of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is probably one of my favorite writers because he gets so descriptive with what he sees. It's almost kind of like he doesn't want to leave anything up to your imagination. He wants you to know everything that he sees that's actually really happening. It's not like, um, like for example, he doesn't speak in a whole bunch of metaphors or anything like that. It's if you read what he's saying, it's like, oh, wow, that, that, that's what happened. That's okay, I get it. Yeah, I see it. And I think he does this because he wants us to actually visualize what is happening with the people and what is going on at the moment. Now, the book of Lamentations has a purpose. He didn't just write it just to write it. He wrote it for a specific purpose. The people, the city is laid waste. The people are in exile right now. And Jeremiah is writing to them after these events. And the purpose of the book of Jeremiah is this. To help God's people learn a lesson from the past. To help God's people learn a lesson from the past. The cool thing about God's word is that it transcends time. As relevant as this message was for the people back then, believe it or not, it's relevant for us right now. Because what can we do from it? We can learn a lesson from the past. We can learn it. It's relevant for us now. And what is the lesson that Jeremiah is trying to teach us? I'm not going to tell you yet. You got to wait. It's Father's Day. There's only one way to find out. We have to dive into God's word. We have to start where Jeremiah starts. We have to start in chapter 1. 
Now, Jeremiah starts off by telling us the state that the city is in. He starts off by describing the state of the city, what he sees. Now, he describes the city itself as a widow, as a widow that is by herself, abandoned, so to speak. This is what Jeremiah writes in the first chapter of the first verse in Lamentations. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she, once who was once great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly, she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheeks among all her lovers. There is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. After affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. How deserted lies the city. Jeremiah is letting us know, he's letting the people, he's letting the readers know at that time that there is no one left. There is not one person left in God's city, in the city of Jerusalem. Every single last one of them has been taken away. The city was once full of people, and now it's deserted. It looks like there's no one there because there is no one there. Babylon has taken everyone away. There is no one there that is coming to help. No one. All the alliances that God's people made with all the other surrounding nations that were there at the time, all of them just looked at Jerusalem and said, oh, snap, look what's happening over there. And they turned a blind eye and they walked in the other direction. They left them. They left them. Their friends, he says, the friends that they had, they betrayed them. The friends that they had, they became their enemies. They are all slaves. They have been taken into exile, Jeremiah says. What a shocking way to open up the first chapter. I mean, didn't this just happen? And now Jeremiah is writing about it. And now the people that experience it, now they got to read it. This is shocking. And just when you think it can't jolt you anymore with imagery, Jeremiah tells them this very harsh truth. Lamentations 1, verse 5. The Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins. The Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins. Jeremiah didn't want anybody to be confused about where this came from. He didn't want the people to think, oh man, look, God left us and the Babylonians invaded. He didn't want the people to think, oh man, look, all these other circumstances that happened outside of God's control. That's the reason why we are where we are right now. No, Jeremiah is telling them, listen, we're here because the Lord did this. Why? Because of her many sins. Not just one or two, but many, he says. And this tells us something very important here, that every single one of us can learn, can learn something very important here. God pays attention to the sin that we do. I know, it's not a shocker. It's not like a mind-boggling revelation or anything like that. But God pays attention to the sin that we do, not just the sin that's visible, 
Not just the sin that everybody can see. No, God pays attention to the sin behind the door of your house. God pays attention to the sin that you see on your computer. God pays attention to the sin that's on your phone. God pays attention to it all. There is nothing that God cannot see. I remember a few weeks ago, I was having a conversation with some youth. And I asked them a really, really like plain, a plain question. And the question was, you know, these, these are young kids, young kids, you know. And I had to like find some way to relate to them. And I'm like, man, you know, when I was young, like what were some of the bad things that I did when I was young? You know, and I'm like, oh, you know what? I stole a lot, you know, Puerto Rican. It happens, right? So I said, you know, what? I, I stole a lot. I'm like, all right, so, you know, there's some Puerto Ricans, in, you know, with these kids. I'm like, hey, guys, have you guys, do you guys believe that God exists? I asked them that question. Every single one of them said, yes, I believe that God exists. I'm like, that's great. And then I had a follow-up question that was a little bit deeper. I said, then how can we act like he doesn't? And they looked at me and they're like, well, what do you mean? And then I was like, have you guys ever stolen? And then I'm not calling out kids, so I'm not, don't don't ask if it's your kid. I'm not going to tell you who it is. Um, And all the kids were like, oh, yeah, (laughs) of course. I stole all the time. And I looked at them and I'm I'm like, well, why'd you do it? And that, oh, because nobody was watching. And I was like, nobody was watching you? And they're like, no. I'm like, do you know that God was watching you? And I kid you not, one of the kids literally told me, oh, I thought he only paid attention to me on Sunday mornings. Another kid was like, oh, I thought he only paid attention to me when I was spending time with him, when I was reading the word, when I was praying, when I was worshiping the song or something like that. I didn't think he was paying attention to me outside of that. And I look and listen, listen, I know it's, it's a little bit funny and it's a little bit shocking, but the reality is we think like that. We do. We think to ourselves, wow, God's, you know, God's here. We know God's here. 100% God's in Christ fellowship. I know that for a fact, right? But sometimes we forget God is everywhere. God sees everything. It's not just the things that you do that everybody else sees that he sees. No, he sees the stuff that nobody sees. He sees the stuff that your wife or your husband may not know about. He sees the stuff that your friends may not know about. God sees it all. God pays attention to the sin that we do. He does. Now, I want you guys to think about this for a second. God is the only person that is good. He is. God is the only person that is good in this world. He is the only person that is good in this entire universe. In fact, God is the embodiment of what good is. He is. Jesus, in the New Testament, he says, there is no one good but God. No one. That means I'm not good. You're not good. Sorry. I burst your bubble. I had to tell it to you. It's the truth, right? I'm not good. You're not good. There's nobody that is good in this world but God. That means, check this out, that means if God is the only thing that is good in this entire world, this entire universe, then anything that is apart from him, anything that is not him, is not good. It's not. Anything that we choose outside of God is bad. It's a sin. That means that if we choose to that means that if we choose to actively ignore God's desires for our lives. That means that if we choose to actively ignore his purpose. If we choose to actively ignore his will. If we choose to actively ignore his word. If we choose to actively ignore God. Then believe it or not without knowing it you're choosing something else. 
Because if you're not choosing his will, if you're not choosing his word, if you're not choosing his purpose, if you're not choosing his desire, you're making a choice. You're choosing something that's not God. And whatever it is that that thing that you're choosing, if it doesn't line up with him, what are we choosing? What are we choosing? Anything that doesn't line up with God, anything that doesn't line up with his word, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, it's sin. It's sin. And look at what it did to the people. They were deserted. They became slaves. There was no one around to comfort them. All their friends betrayed them. Some of their friends became their enemies. I don't know about you, but this sounds like they were, what's that word? What's that word? Alone. It sounds like they were alone, completely and totally and utterly alone with no one there because that's what sin does. In every single one of your relationships, whether it's physically, whether it's mentally, whether it's emotionally, whether it's spiritually, sin separates you and makes you feel completely alone in all of your relationships in one way or another, and especially in your relationship with God. It separates you. It drives a wedge between all that is good, and it puts you over here somewhere outside of that. Sin separates you from all of your relationships in one way or another, but especially with the one that you have with God. But to push the point a little bit further, because Jeremiah is not done. Remember, Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. He had a passion for the people. He wanted them to know. To push the point a little bit further, Jeremiah gives us another nugget. He tells this to the people in Lamentations 1.9. Her filthiness clung to her skirts. She did not consider her future. Now, obviously, I'm not wearing a skirt, right? But her filthiness, what is he talking about? He's talking about their sin. Her filthiness clung to them. She did not consider her future. What he means by this is that their sin was no longer just an outward problem. What do I mean by that? I mean that it's not like, okay, we're going to sin over here. This is where I sin at. Now I'm over here. Now I'm separate from where I sinned. I'm home now. I'm doing something else. My sin's over there. I'm over here. I'm good. No, no, no. It got to the point with them that no longer did they just sin over here, but their sin clung to them, and now it's following them everywhere that they go. It's no longer an outward problem for them anymore. It's ingrained inside of them. It's a part of their heart. It clung to them. It made a move. It moved from out here somewhere to now in here. Remember what I said at the beginning? What were the people like when Jeremiah first was talking to them? They considered their sin what? Normal. And that's what happens. Her filthiness clung to her skirts. She did not consider her future. Can I be honest with you about something? If it's a sin and it doesn't bother you as much, or if it's a sin and you don't really think twice about it, could it be that it's because it's to you? Could it be? 
Could it be that you consider it normal? Maybe it's because it's clung to you. As a result of it clinging to them, Jeremiah tells them this really cool thing right after that. She did not consider her future. What he's talking about here is that the people, the people at that time, all they cared about was the immediate pleasures of life. The immediate pleasures of life. That's all they cared about. They cared about it so much so that they didn't care how those pleasures came. Excuse me. They didn't care how those pleasures came, and they didn't care about the consequences that they would bring later. She did not consider her future. They only cared about the immediate pleasures of life, the immediate satisfaction, the things that can only involve me, the things that I want right now at this very moment. Those are the things that I want. How does it get here? I don't care how it gets here. I don't care how I get all the financial money. I don't care how I get all these women. I don't care, I don't care how I get. I just want it right now. But, but if you do it now, look what's going to happen. No, no, no. I, don't, uh, I want it right now. I used to have this joke with my wife, and I stopped saying it a while ago. I used to tell her that whenever there was an issue in the house, I would tell her, oh, that's a problem for future Eddie. Let future Eddie handle that. The future comes. The future comes. When it's clung to us, when it's clung to us the way that Jeremiah writes, for us now in our time, what does it mean? It means that we focus very little on what may lie ahead. We focus very little on what may lie ahead. And our attention, our attention is on the things that only satisfy us right away. Pronto. She did not consider her future. We don't think about who it may hurt or how bad of a financial hole it will put us in. We don't think about the reputation it will give us or the trust it will break. We don't think about the pain it will cause us in the long run or the purpose of God it will stall. We don't think about how emotionally it will scar us long-term. And more importantly, if we keep doing it, what we don't realize is that it drives a wedge between us and Jesus. And if we keep doing it, the wedge gets bigger. And if we keep doing it, the wedge gets bigger. And if we keep doing it, the wedge gets bigger. Then all of a sudden, we take a look, and the cross of of our Lord and Savior is so far that we can't even see it. If you're somebody who does know who Jesus is, if you're somebody who has Jesus on your heart and he's sitting there on that throne, guess what's happening? The more you sin, he gets nudged off and gets replaced with that. Sin always carries with it a consequence whether it's immediate or in the future. Just look at what happened to the people. They were sinning for generations. And then the future came. And it got them. Not got them like, ah, I got you. No, but it happened. Jeremiah, what was Jeremiah doing here? 
in this first chapter? What was he doing? Jeremiah was, wanted to make sure that the people knew why what happened to them happened to them. He wanted the people to know the reason why. He wanted to know the reason why what happened to them happened to them because he's doing it with a purpose. He has a purpose behind all of this. He's not saying this to the people to beat them down and to let them know, hey, you guys were up here. Now you're down here because you didn't listen to me. Ha, ha, ha. No, he's not telling them that. Remember, Jeremiah has a passion for the people. He's telling them this in love, in compassion. He's like, listen, I have to lead you somewhere. I have to get you somewhere. But the only way I can get you there is if you recognize what got you here in the first place. If you don't recognize what got you here, I can't take you out of here and move you over there. No, you have to recognize what's happening now. And in our lives, personally, for every single one of us here, God wants to take us somewhere. He wants to take us out of something, through something, beyond something. But the reality is we have to recognize where we are now. And if there's something that we are doing that is not in alignment with him, if there's something that we're doing that goes against his word, if there's something that we're doing that is against his desire, his will, believe it or not, we'll stay here and we'll never move past there because God is trying to bring attention to something in our lives. Jeremiah is leading them into something new. And at this moment, the people don't realize it yet. But before he gets there, he has to address a couple of more things. He tells them this in chapter 2. The Lord has rejected his altar and abandoned his sanctuary. He has handed over to the enemy the walls of of her palaces. Just to give you a little quick history lesson about this, the altar itself, the altar itself For all the people who lived back in that time, the altar represented a place where they would bring gifts to God. The altar represented a place where they would bring their animal sacrifices for the sins that they committed. They would sacrifice the animal and their sins would be forgiven. The altar was a very important place. Without the altar, there was no forgiveness of sin. So the people knew what Jeremiah was talking about when he mentioned altar. When he mentioned the sanctuary, the sanctuary is just another clever term for the holies of holies, which meant that was the place where God's presence dwelled. It wasn't God. Don't get it confused. It wasn't God, but that's where the presence of God would dwell. So Jeremiah is telling them, look at this. He's telling them, the Lord has rejected the altar and has abandoned the sanctuary. This was devastating news to the people. You want to know why? Because it meant to them that they couldn't get out of their current circumstance by just going through the motions. They couldn't get out of their circumstance by just going through the motions. It meant that they couldn't just go up to this altar, do a couple of sacrifices. Hey, God, you see this? You see what we just did right here? We did like five cattle. Is that enough? No, you want six? Six cattle? All right, six cattle. I'll do six cattle. Boom, six cattle. We're good. Hey, Babylon, go away. Let us continue doing what we're doing. No. The fact that Jeremiah tells him the Lord has rejected his altar and abandoned his sanctuary, it means that the people had no other options. They had no other options. Jeremiah was telling them, you can't just go through the motions. You can't just do an outward physical thing if inwardly your hearts are not in it. 
If you're doing it that way, then you are missing the point. If we, if you are doing it that way, then you are missing the point. What's the point of raising our hands in worship if we don't really mean it? Why ask for forgiveness from somebody else if we don't really care if they give it to us? Why pray blessings over other people if you really don't want that person to get blessed? Why do that? Why ask God for guidance in your life? Why ask God for guidance in the circumstances that you are going through? If deep down inside, you know how you're going to do it already. You just want to check the box and say, oh, well, I consulted God. I consulted him, but in my mind and in my heart, I'm really going to be doing this over here anyway. I went to Pastor Carlos. I asked Pastor Carlos. I asked Pastor Joel, what should I do? They gave me really godly advice. But in my mind, I was already, I had everything made up already. I was already going to be doing this. If we are doing it that way, we're missing the point. And God's people have been missing the point for generations. Just really quick. Really super quick history lesson. What was God looking at after Saul was king, when God wanted the next king? What was God looking for in the person? He tells him in 1 Samuel 16, 7, when he was looking for David, when Samuel was the prophet, was looking for all, he was like, oh, this guy's so strong. This guy's so this, this guy's so that. God tells Samuel this. The Lord does not look at the things a man looks at. He doesn't look at the physical outward things that a man does or that a man is. God doesn't look at that. What does he look at? Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? The heart. Jesus echoes this same sentiment when he was confronted by a Pharisee in Luke chapter 16 in regards to money change and everything like that. Jesus tells the Pharisee this, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. Meaning that the Pharisees were walking around more righteous, more holy, more justified than anybody else because of the things that they were doing on the outside. Oh, look how holy I am. Look how holy I walk. Look how much money I give. Look at how I lay hands on this people. Look how the, look. Jesus was saying, you are doing that because the people see you, because of the eyes of the people. But Jesus tells them this, but God knows your heart. But God knows your heart. You can't just do an outward physical expression if inwardly your heart is not in it. If you're doing it that way, you're missing the point. God was telling them through Jeremiah that it's not just about outward actions that you do. It's about the motive you do them with. It's about your heart. So check this out. Check this out. With the realization that the altar is now abandoned, and that the sanctuary is empty, as I said before, the people have no other option. And sometimes God will do that to us. God will eliminate all the other outlets that we run to. God will eliminate the best friend that you always call when you're in a problem. God will shut the power down in your house and eliminate the internet. God will take you away from everybody that you know and you love for a temporary time, not permanently, for a temporary time, so that way you don't run to those individuals. So that way you don't run to the drink. You don't run to the internet. You don't run to your phone. He'll cut your phone bill off just so that way you have no other outlet and nobody else to go to, no other thing to turn to but him. But him. And the reason why he cuts those things off is because 
the mentality is of the people at that time, they valued the altar more than they valued God. They valued the presence of where God was more than they value God himself. And God wanted to eliminate those things so that way the only thing that they would have to turn to would be God himself. But the people still didn't realize what Jeremiah was trying to do. So what did they do? They do what we always do when we don't get our way. The people started wailing, crying, screaming, moaning, grumbling, and lamenting towards God. They started to express their hopelessness with weeping and with tears streaming down their face. They started complaining to God. And they were doing all of this throughout the whole five chapters of Lamentations. All five chapters, complaining, weeping, crying, mourning, wailing, tears running down their face. Why, 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 why? All this stuff. But in the middle of all of their weeping and their crying and their wailing, Jeremiah comes in and hits him with a tateketo stick. How many of you know what a tateketo stick is? Anybody know? All right, let me just explain it really fast. All right, when I was, <laughs> so bad. When I was young, right, when I was actually like my son's age, right, my mom had this long rubbery stick that when you whip it around, you'd hear it, you know, like that, right? And whenever I was acting up or being annoying, which is like all the time, right? Like, mom, 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 You know, like, Eddie, pay attention. Mom, 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 whatever. She'd be like, Wah, bah! she would swing that thing with the force of all the mothers who existed ever. And she would just, wow, broke the sound barrier. Pop, not get though, pay attention, calm down. What are you doing right now? Oh, mom, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and then like, you know, after I, you know, after I would stop, you know, it's like, pop, pop. Well, why you hit me twice? I stopped already. Good measure, just to make sure. That's for future ready. It's for future ready. My man. What is it? My man Elliot. Thank you. Right? So, it was so bad. My mom's going to watch this. Why don't you tell them that? Now I'm a horrible mother. All right. So, Jeremiah, he comes in and he hits him with the tateketo. Guys, calm it down. Pay attention right now. There's some important things that I need to tell you. So, I'm not saying he literally hit them, but, you know, he grabbed their attention. <laughs> and I would like to think that if I was there at that moment, like if I was one of the people and Jeremiah was, you know, the guy, and I was one of the people that was there and all of this stuff was happening, and I was one of those people wailing, crying, because that's what I would do, wail, cry, scream, tears in my eyes. You know, my whole city was destroyed. I got taken away as a slave, you know, because of my sin, all this stuff that is happening. I would be like wilding out. And if Jeremiah would come and tell me this next verse, I would pucker up for a second. I would stop and pay attention. Because look at how Jeremiah delivers the tateketo. Say tateketo. Yeah. Don't get the stick. I just said you to say it. But Jeremiah hits them with this in Lamentations 3.39. Remember, in the middle of all their crying and their wailing. Why should any living man complain when punished for his sins? Why should any living man complain when punished for his sins? When I read this, for some odd reason, I couldn't get past it. I couldn't. Not because it was difficult for me to understand, but there was something there that God wanted me to pick up. And I'm like, God, why did you say it this way? Why did you bring it up this way? 
And the word that really stuck out to me, to, to be honest, wasn't the punishing or the sinful part. The word that stuck out to me about this verse, I'm not sure if it, if it stood out to you, the word was living. I mean, why didn't he just say, why should any man complain when punished for his sins? Why did God insert the word living there? So I started praying, wrestling with God. God, you got to show me why you put that there. Because everything you do is intentional. There's nothing that's coincidence or just by random. God, you put that word living there for me. Why did you put that word living there? And then it hit me. Well, it didn't hit me. God told me. He told me this. You can't complain if you're dead. You can't complain if you're dead. If God wanted to, he could have wiped his people off the face of the planet like this. And you know what's funny? He would have been justified in doing it because of their sin, because of their wickedness. God could have just wiped them out, boom, off the face of the planet, just like that. And nobody would have batted an eye. You know what the other nations would have said? Yo, they sinned against God and God took them out. That God is, is all right with me. That's what would have happened. But, it's always a but, but because of his great mercy and because of his great love for his creation, he leaves them with something that can only be taken advantage of if they're alive. Think about that. He leaves them with something that can only be taken advantage of if they are alive. If you're dead, you can't take advantage of this. Just so you know, if any one of you, God forbid, dies tomorrow, you can't take advantage of this. If you die walking outside of these double doors, you cannot take advantage of what it is I'm about to tell you. But God loves his creation so much. He loves us so much that he left them alive so that way there is something that he wants them to take advantage of, that they can only take advantage of if they are alive. And it's this, an opportunity. An opportunity for what, you ask? It's in the very next verse. You see, Lamentations 3.39, like I said, was a tatequeto. Grab their attention. Now Jeremiah has the attention of everybody. Now everybody's leaning in. Now everybody, Jeremiah, why did you tell that to us? Why did you say it to us like that? What's the whole purpose of that? What is the opportunity that we can only take advantage of if we are living? He tells them this in Lamentations 3.40. Let us examine our ways and test them. And let us return to the Lord. Let us examine our ways and test them. And let us return to the Lord. Jeremiah is letting them know that this right here, even though we are in exile, even though that we are away from what we are used to, what has happened to us has happened to us. Because this is an opportunity that God has given us to do a real heart check. To do a real heart check. Jeremiah is letting the people know that he wants them to thoroughly search the depths of their moral character. He wants them to thoroughly search the depths of their habit. He wants them to search the manner in which they live and see how that lines up with this. That's the opportunity that they had. Does your life, examine it, test it, does it line up with this? 
And if there is anything that doesn't line up with his will, his purpose, his word, his desire, guess what it gives them? It gives them the opportunity to repent. It gives them an opportunity to acknowledge that they're not living the way that that God desires for them to live. It gives them the opportunity to repent and to turn away from those types of things and do what? At the very end of that verse, it says what? To return where? To, to, To return to Jerusalem? To return to the altar? To return to the sanctuary? No, to return to who? The Lord. To return to the Lord. There is a verse, if I go back a few months, there's a verse that, that I felt like I had to memorize. I was going through a season. It was a little bit of a tough time for me, honestly. And uh, God gave me this verse. And when he gave it to me, I decided to commit it to my heart. I decided to memorize it. I'm not saying that to like, you know, oh, Eddie memorizes the word. No, no, I'm not saying that for that. I'm saying it, was, it meant so much to me that I had to put it on my heart. And this verse carries within it the same theme, the same tone of the verse that we just read. And the verse is this. It's Psalm 19, 14. It says this, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. I'm not even kidding you. During that season and even now to this very day, I say that verse at least six to seven times. Sometimes I'm saying that verse in my head as I'm having a conversation with you. Spoiler. So if it looks like I'm dazed, it's because I'm saying that verse, right? And the reason why I felt like God wanted me to have that verse for me was because every time I say it, I think, I pause, and it gives me a moment. Let the words of my mouth, are the words that I'm speaking pleasing to God? Are my words edifying? Are my words building up? Are my words in alignment with the things that the word says? Is that my, is that, is that, are those my words? That the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart are the things that I'm thinking about deep down inside. Are those things that I'm thinking about, are they in alignment with his word? Do they line up with his will? Do they line up with his desires? I literally say that verse six to seven times a day to keep myself in check, to make sure that my relationship with God is as best as it can be. I know it's not perfect. Yours isn't perfect. Mine isn't perfect. Nobody's walk is perfect. But I say that to myself all the time because I want to make sure that I'm over here with God and not over here with the Lord. So when I read this verse, When I read this verse that Jeremiah talks about, let us examine our ways and test them. I think about the same exact thing. Are my ways pleasing to God? When you give somebody a test, you're testing them against something. There's a grade mark. There's there's, there's something there that you want them to learn. You know, you can't just answer anything on a test. No, the test is made up against, you are testing your knowledge, your act against that test. And what is the thing that we are supposed to put our test up against? It's this. It's God's word. It's his presence. It's his love. It's his compassion. Do your ways line up with that? Is your every day in alignment with this? Because the people back then, theirs wasn't. Theirs wasn't. And look at where it got them. 
Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And one of the coolest things I find out about that is that if you do that, if you examine yourself, if you test yourself, guess what it is that you have to do? You have to stop whatever it is that you're doing, pause for a second, and actually examine. It gives you a break from whatever it is that is happening all around you, regardless of how chaotic it may be, regardless of how upside down life may be at the moment. It gives you that opportunity to pause, to stop and examine. I've done that plenty of times. And let me tell you, when God hits me with the datiketo, the first thing I do is I stop, I pause, and I think. And I meditate on what God wants me to do. And if there is anything that I am doing or saying that is not in alignment with his word, I pray for God to show me. I pray for him to show me. I pray for him to lead me. I pray for him to show me in his word. I pray for him to just ask, God, is it with you or is it not? And right now, I believe And right now, I believe that each and every single one of you here right now, watching online or in the presence, I believe that you guys have that same opportunity. Where God was leading them, I firmly believe it's where God is leading us right now. If you take a look at the world, if you take a look at society, if you take a look at all the stuff that is happening around you, how it's clung to some particular individuals, maybe, maybe not, maybe you, maybe not. I believe that God has given you this same opportunity to search the depths of your moral character, to search your habits, to search the manners in which you live, and to see how it lines up with God. You have the opportunity to repent, to turn away from those things and follow Jesus. Why should any living man You are alive, right? That means that Jesus, that means his unfallible mercy. That means his never-ending compassion. That means his unlimited love wants you to take advantage of the opportunity. The only question that remains in all of that is, will you? Will you take advantage of it? Let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. I believe Jeremiah's message is a message for us today, a message for us to examine our hearts. If we don't take the time every now and then, we could easily end up like the people of Jeremiah's time, with filthiness clinging to your skirts, not considering the future. But in the same way, God gave the people an opportunity back then even though he should have been complete, even though he was completely justified in taking them out, he has given you. He's given you. He's given each and every single one of you that same exact opportunity when he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. Because I'll tell you something right now, had it not been for this, had it not been for what Jesus did there, God would have completely been justified in wiping every single one of us off the face of the planet. Justified. But because he loves us, 
so immensely. I look at that and I see love. I see forgiveness. I see compassion. I see everything that God is. And I see one of the greatest things that he's given us. I see opportunity. I see opportunity to examine my ways. I see an opportunity to test my thoughts. I see an opportunity to come back and return to the Lord. His great mercy, his faithfulness, his passion, and never-ending love, it said, no, give them an opportunity. Give them life. Let them examine their ways and return to me. When we look at Jeremiah, we can easily just look at how they complained and wailed for five whole chapters. Or we can see where Jeremiah was trying to lead them, where Jeremiah was trying to take them. Because the most important thing in this world is your relationship with you and with God. No distractions, no clean, no filthiness. If you see your future, Make sure God's in it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, my God. We thank you for the great message that you have given through Jeremiah, my Lord. That we should examine our ways, my God. That the reason why the things happened to them, my Lord, happened because they chose everything that was not of you, my God. They didn't choose your will. They didn't choose your purpose. They didn't choose your desires, my God. They didn't choose your word, my Lord. They thought that just regular outward actions, my God, without their heart would have been enough, my Lord. But that was not what you were looking for, my God. It was never what you were looking for, my God. You were looking to see if their heart weeped and broke with your heart, my God. You were looking to see if their hearts, my Lord, were in alignment with your heart, my God. So I pray, Lord, right now over every single one of us, my God, that we would go, that we would examine our ways, my God, that we would let, that we would meditate on our ways, my God, that we would see if it aligns well with your word, my God. I pray that we would be bold, that we would be courageous, my God, to do that with ourselves because some of the things that are hardest to do in life, my God, is for us to stop and take a look in the mirror, my God. So I pray that we would be bold and that you would give us courage, my God, to take a stop and look in the mirror, my God, and test and see if our ways are in alignment with your ways, my God. Then I pray, Lord, that you would give us strength and wisdom, my Lord, that if they are not in alignment with your ways, that you would show us how to be in alignment with you, my God. That we will be uncompromising, my Lord. That no matter how the world may seem to be normalized, my God, that we would be bold to proclaim your truth, your love, your passion, my God. We thank you, my Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Be with him in the future. Have a great day. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. 
If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.